Logo Geeks is Ian Paget here and I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. On today's show I'm going to be interviewing Jeremy Muir, but before we dive into that I want to encourage you to take 30 minutes out of your day to create a quick mood board design and to enter that into the perfect match. By doing that you'll get a $50 gift card for your submission and if your mood board design communicates clearly you might become a contestant on the live game show for a chance to win $1,000 and a Wacom tablet too throughout August and September 2022. Also for each entry submitted over the next couple of months they'll also be donating $25 to the National Partnership for Women and families. So by taking the time out of your day to work on a fun creative exercise, you'll gain something great and you'll give a lot. So it's totally worth taking part in this. If you want to enter, grab a brief from theperfectmatch.co forward slash play, then create your mood board design following the rules provided. So anyway, this week's guest is Jeremy Muir, who's a freelance brand designer and content creator from Sydney, Australia. I've been connected with Jeremy now for a few years through social media, and he's someone that's been actively putting out great video content and training material around logo design, which is why I wanted to bring him on the podcast to uncover his story. So in this interview, we're going to be learning how he started out as a freelance designer. We're going to dive into his logo design process. We're going to discuss content marketing and what's worked for him, how he uses a routine and plans his day, and how he's diversified his income too. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Jeremy Mura. Jeremy, I think we should go back to the beginning. I think it's always good to hear people's origin stories. So I think as a good starting point for this, how did your journey into graphic design or logo design first begin? I think it all started when I was a little kid. My dad was into IT, so I was into computers and my mom was very creative into like art and music. So um, when I was in high school, I ended up choosing multimedia. And in that class, I actually got to use Photoshop for the first time. And so my love for, you know, um, art and and computers was combined and I fell in love with Photoshop. And I think that was all the way back in like 2009 or 10 mm-hmm. uh, when I was still in school. So um, yeah, that's when I sort of, you know, got into design. And then, yeah, I graduated in 2011 and I went to university and my first two years, I actually failed. I tried to get into a prestigious university called University of Sydney. I'm in the city in Australia, which is pretty cool. But I, um, you know, that part of my life, I wasn't really 
focused and I was lazy and partying and stuff. <laughs> you know Actually how it did. goes. <laughs> yeah. And then in 2014, I ended up doing a course. I'm at SAE Institute, also known as Quantum College. It's a global um, college, which is cool. And I did sure. a two-year bachelor of graphic design as my major. And, um, you know, we, we learned all the, all the stuff, you know, about Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, did some print work, you know, did magazines and posters and logos and, you know, learning all the basics. And, um, yeah, that's how I sort of got started in design and, and, you know, eventually got into freelancing and all that other stuff. But so that, that was the origin, man. And, and yeah, I've been doing it ever since. Sure. Sure. And, and in terms of, um, freelancing because i know you now work for yourself has that always been the case from the from the very beginning so you went straight into working for yourself basically yeah so i did work part-time as a as a checkout um person (laughs) so working at a grocer um i did quit i think i quit in 2016 in july um so yeah i started freelancing around 2013 and because I sort of learned design, you know, consuming YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. And I learned about like, started learning about how to, you know, make money on the side. Um, you know, my parents were divorced. So I just lived, my mom was a single mom at the time. So, you know, um, you had to make extra money, pay, help pay electricity and internet and stuff. So I was just so hustling on the side and going on like freelance websites. Um, one of the sites I used was like Airtasker. It was like an Australian um, based site. It, it's sort of like, you know, Fiverr or Upwork. Um, but you work one-on-one with clients and sort of, yeah, I just did that on the side and, um, try to get work with friends and family, basically nothing major, just small budgets, Mm -hmm. really small budget projects, a couple hundred bucks here and there. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's good that you mentioned actually that while you were at university, you know, you did any job that you could basically get just to get some money coming in. And then on the side, Mm. you could then start building up your own client base and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, which I think is really cool. And, um, I, I think that's how a lot of people start out. That that's how I, I began doing freelancing stuff. I was quite lucky. I actually mm. had I was able to find a a job that included graphic design and I was doing a few bits wow. on the side. Um yep. but yeah, you can get uh, when you first start out, when you want jobs, you pretty much take what you can really, don't you? <laughs> yeah, take everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you need money, um, I, I find it a big thing now, like you're probably in the same place now. Mm-hmm. You're charging yep. what you're worth now, right? And uh, when yep. you begin in terms of like working out prices, I think it's a different position now because mm-hmm. when you go online to try and find out how much you should be charging and stuff, there's there's a lot of advice. When I started out, there wasn't any of that. So I, I didn't really know how what oh, I should wow. be doing. Um, how how did you find working out prices and stuff like that when you begun? Was it just like picking a mm-hmm. number out of a hat basically and, and going from there? Yeah, I guess you're right. It it was kind of like that. I was just throwing out numbers, really. Um, I for me, the goal was to keep growing and improving myself. And so each new client, I tried to ask for a little bit more. You know, so the first mm-hmm. one would be like, you know, a hundred bucks. Then I was asking like two fifty, and then it went to like you know five hundred. And so each time, I kept trying to um, go grow higher and higher. And I, I try to find ways of like how to package up my services and add more value. And then. Obviously, when you add more value, the scope increases and you can increase the pricing. And so that's what I was really trying to do. But obviously, as I said, I had that part-time job. So that was like mm-hmm. providing me with with most of my money to like, you know, go out and, you know, buy books, buy courses and invest in myself. Um, but yeah, that typically that's how I, how I did it. Now it's more 
you know, you have a formula and you have your, you understand design and the value you bring so you can charge more. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's sort of how mm-hmm. I did it. Mm-hmm. And I read in an interview that you did that one of your biggest hurdles at the beginning was uh, actually having a process. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that as well? Like maybe the the challenges that you were facing yep. and how you figured out that you actually needed a process and maybe we can go into what that process <laughs> is now as well. Yeah, 100%. For me, you know, we've all heard about the magic reveal. <laughs> that was my <laughs> core thing I did back in the day. You know, I didn't really have a core process. I didn't used to do discovery workshops or brand workshops and get on a call with the client. I'd always just do stuff over email. You know, I knew how to do a, a pretty pretty good logos, but basically that's it. I didn't know how to do much, much else. Um, and so, yeah, I was just like trying to do the best work I could and then deliver everything. But there was there would always be clients that want so many revisions and I'll be on like fifth revision. And then I'm like, this is, I started getting frustrated and I'm like not making much money, um, you know, and he's like resenting the client. And, and a lot of the times it was like that. I wasn't in control and I wasn't guiding the project. Um, cause, and the clients would just tell me what to do. And so, yeah, that's what happened when I didn't have a process, but now it looks totally different. Um, cause I learned, you know, started listening to Chris Doe and Sean West and all these people and stuff. And I started, mm-hmm. started learning how to actually, be more strategic and be more practical. So, yeah. Okay. I think there's a few things that we can <laughs> go into detail with this. So I think we'll save process for a little bit unless it's relevant to this, but you you mentioned about the client coming back to you wanting changes basically. And I think yeah. that's going to be a common thing for graphic designers at mm-hmm. some point in their career. Um, you know, I've, I've, gone through that myself and um i do agree that you know having process it does iron out and i think with Mm -hmm. experience you learn how to handle it so what what did you do to combat that so to to figure out how you could avoid clients coming back to you so many times and to get that control back yeah so once i started implementing you know different parts of my creative process now my process has about seven to eight steps in it and so what i started doing was actually doing discovery workshops um instead of just going hey yeah i can do a logo you know here's an invoice and just start designing you know Mm -hmm. like so i started um jumping on a call first first thing nowadays i get an initial call to see if we're a right fit if we're not a right fit either because of the budget or because i don't like the personality of the person or the industry um and then once we're all good we do it as you know invoice take 50 percent. then we do a discovery call and in that discovery call we talk a little about you know the users the goals the brand personality the voice and tone of the brand um everything that relates to you know the business and the and the brand mm-hmm. we we nail that down and then so from that, then we jump into like mood boarding or stylescapes. I like just, doing just stylescapes. Just pause slightly. So that first step that you mentioned where yep. you are on the phone with the client, understanding mm-hmm. uh, who they are, what they're about, all that sort of stuff. Prior to implementing a process, so when you first started out, am I understanding mm-hmm. right that that's, that's part of the process that you didn't do? Yeah, basically. I didn't yeah. have that upfront thing. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I mean in terms of significance, you I'm sure you noticed the the massive difference that understanding that actually made, right? Oh yeah, it, it made a tremendous difference. Like because you, you not only does it change the perception of the client, they see you as more valuable, they see you as a professional, mm-hmm. they see you as like a consultant that's helping them, guiding them, and you're asking these high value questions 
you seem like you're trying to actually help them solve the problem instead of just exactly. design for the sake of designing. And so that was the shift. It was all about the mindset and um, and just taking control. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, through this podcast, I uh, do talk quite a lot about brand strategy and yeah. uh, there's a lot that can go into that. You can, um, I, I think as logo designers, we don't necessarily need to be brand strategists. I, 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 mm -hmm. I don't think that's needed, but you yeah. do need to be able to at least understand what that strategy is at least have an understanding of who they are, what they're aiming to do and stuff like that. So you don't need to, mm -hmm. um, I, I think what's good with this is I that agree. you don't need to be a brand strategist and you don't need to do like strategy workshops and all this sort of stuff that Correct. I do obviously talk about on the podcast, but in terms of making mm -hmm. that big difference and uh, sharing to clients that you're more valuable and getting mm -hmm. around the the issue of clients wanting lots of changes and taking charge <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Just asking questions and understanding who they are. If you don't do that in your process, then you're going to get a whole load of issues like you did. <laughs> and just implementing that telephone call made a massive mm -hmm. difference. So anyone listening that isn't currently do that, so please start doing that now because that's just going to make a massive difference to your process. <laughs> you're going to be able to up your prices and the end result is going to be a lot better because you just know what mm. you're trying to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're more objective and it's less subjectivity in it. Absolutely. I'll let you carry on talking through your process because <laughs> I interrupted that. <laughs> That's cool, man. I love it. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, initial call, um, then we get an invoice and then we do the discovery workshop. And then from that, we do stylescapes and then stylescapes help us refine the direction before we spend so much time designing the logo and designing the identity and the assets we can just focus on getting it like a direction so usually i'll do like two concepts sometimes three um i know a lot of designers these days do the one concept approach but i don't know maybe we can talk about that but yeah sure um from that yeah stylescapes and then once you pick a stylescape i then go into the the logo design portion of it so you know i love doing sketches looking at my book um uh, my books you know logo lounge or aaron draplin's book um, you know, or made by James's book, um, James Martin, um, you know, just, I'll check my books first, do some sketches, go online, Pinterest, Behance, Dribble, you know, the usual type of, uh, sites we go on and yeah, just start, um, you know, after all that research and just, and then sketching and then just jump into illustrator and start, you know, I, I try and pick the best, the, the best solution, right. The best mm -hmm. design. And so, I find like that a lot of designers don't sketch enough. And so from that sketching and that research process, it really helps me refine and, and pick the best um, design. And so, yeah, from that logo design, and then we start designing the rest, like we design the presentation, you know, do nice mock-ups, you know, add up patterns or icons if the brand needs that. And we're sort of designing that um, colors, typography, um, all the main parts, and then any assets, like if it's there's a business card or a poster or a fly or whatever, we'll, we'll throw that in. Um, and show that in the presentation to show, you know, what's possible. And then, yeah, after the presentation revisions, then we go through after revisions, then we package it up. And then basically to end it off, I usually send a, um, a link with a recording. And so I get sort of like a little training video. So I, I go, I use loom and I say, he, here's all the files. Here's how you can use it in Canva, um, or whatever, you know, app they're going to use. And I, and I drag and drop it and show them how they can use it. And then I send my Google review link in the email and the link to a Dropbox that has the package of all the files. And so it helps me get a review and it helps me just um, 
yeah, be professional and sort of the, that's basically the rundown of my of my process really. Um, I love some of the uh, later steps of your process because in in terms of you know creating a logo, I think a lot of graphic designers run through a similar um, process. Mm-hmm. But things that stick out for me what you spoke about is the uh recording i think that's a great idea it's not something that i currently do and actually um on occasion there are questions like common questions i personally get mm. um so i i use logo package express to Same, yeah. create uh, a kit of files i do modify it slightly mm-hmm. um but in general the system for that it was pretty similar to what i was doing anyway and okay. um obviously it's at the click of a button so for anyone that's not using lego package express please go and look at that because it will save you like uh, weeks of work per month <laughs> if you're a lego <laughs> designer <laughs> um but yeah, I, on occasion, uh, a, a question that I do get is that people will say, oh, the white versions doesn't contain anything. You know, things like that. Just the, the, <laughs> the, the, there's always these recurring questions and yeah. actually creating a video that shows, okay, this is what's what, this is how you can use it here. Mm. Um, this is the file type that you need for this, this and that. I think that's a really great idea. And I'm going to assume, mm. is that tailored to each individual um, customer as well? So yes, you're actually using the oh that's that's really great that's yeah and how long does that take you to do? Um, I try and keep it short and sweet, probably like ten minutes. Um, sure. Yeah, because it depends how many files and how many like or if it's just a one person, if it's a solopreneur, like they're probably just using Canva. They don't have a design team. Like if they have a design team, they probably know how to use all the stuff. So yeah, usually like ten to twenty minutes. I do a quick video. Um, nothing too major. Sure. Sure. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic that you do that. It's a really great idea. And I think it's utilizing one of your really strong skill sets, which is video. And that's something that I do <laughs> want to go into a little bit later on in this um, uh, conversation. So, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, you mentioned that you uh, present more than one option. And I think this is good to yeah. talk about because you're obviously aware of the one concept approach. Yes. Uh, it's something I'm aware of. You don't present just one option. I also don't. I mean, I've put a lot of thought into this, but it'd be good yeah. to hear your take on this. Like, why do you present, I think you mentioned two directions. Why do you present two rather than uh, just, just the uh, one direction? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I just feel like it's good to give clients choice. Um, and obviously like when we design a logo, there's so much stuff, other like options and other designs we have like on our artboard and other concepts we come up with. So it's like, it seems like a bit of a waste, you know, in a way sort of, um, because mm-hmm. like you can show two different variations, you know? So I feel like, yeah, it's good to, it, it makes the client feel that they're part of the process. If you just say, here's, here's the best solution for you. Obviously most clients want to like, they're paying for the results, right? Cause you're the expert, but I feel like when you add a choice, it allows the client to own that design more. Cause it's like, I picked it in, in a way. And I feel like that's why it's, I, I, I like doing, um, multiple directions. Um, yeah, I think that that's the core reason why, but yeah, it's obviously it's fun designing other mock-ups and stuff, but sometimes it just, it does add on the time though. It takes a lot longer. Oh yeah. For, for absolutely. I mean, I mean, I've, I've put a lot of thought into this because I, I mean, I've considered, going down the one concept approach and there there has been the occasional client where I have done one and well if I was to present one solution 
Yep. I wouldn't just go in and present one <laughs> one logo. <laughs> yep. Um when I did that, I presented a story. Yep. So it wasn't just a case of going, ta-da, here's the logo. It mm-hmm. was more of, you know, looking at the, this is the the challenge that we had. Yep. This is the exploration that I did. These are some of the directions that I was looking at. This is the reason why I feel this direction uh, is stronger. So it's basically telling a story and it's it's still yep. showing the work. It's still showing lots of different options and directions. And I, I do appreciate that there's a risk in showing lots of ideas, especially ones that don't potentially work. But yeah. in cases where I feel really sure and it's just it it does happen. Most of the time I, I show I like to show options because yeah. my my argument is if you created a brief and gave it to a thousand logo designers, you're gonna get mm. a thousand different solutions. Yep. There I mean there 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 could be similar personalities and similar themes, but you're going to get different directions. So in general with logo design, I feel that you can have more than one solution for a company mm. but it, but but the key thing is like the aesthetics the styling and stuff like that and yeah. I'm sure that there might be people listening that will argue that but um uh, and I, I do agree that you know generally a single graphic designer can come up with the best solution but in order to actually know exactly if that is mm-hmm. the best solution there's a whole load of more stuff that you need to go through like testing and all that yeah. sort of stuff and I don't exactly. offer that as a service because if I was going to offer that as a service, I would have to substantially increase my prices. Like if if a client wants less options, yep. in order for me to be 100% certain that that one option True. is the right solution, then I my process needs to drastically change. Mm. Like, in fact, I would argue that I need to charge like hundreds of times more because I would want to do like really in-depth strategy. I'd want to do uh, proper uh, uh, testing with the user mm. base and, you know, be able to have physical evidence and proof to back up yeah. what I've done. So I would still, I think if I was going to do the one concept approach, I would still present lots of options, mm. um, maybe even more so than I do now. Yeah. But I would have all these additional steps so that I can say to my client, this is the solution. This is the data to back that up. Yeah. And literally there would be no room for argument because it would be, <laughs> it, it wouldn't be, or they, they wouldn't have any input. The client wouldn't have any Correct. input. If they want a solution, this is the, the, the solution and this is all the data to back it up. So if, yep. I, like I said, if I was going to do that, I would offer that. But, but you um, try pers- more. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd have to charge significantly more. More time, so, more research, more <laughs> so, yeah. so based on my target audience and based on the price point that I'm aiming at, it's just an unreasonable to present one. I, I personally want to present options and involve the client in that process. If they want to do their own testing, then I'll advise on how they can do that, which I have done with clients. But in general, I will always present more than one. And in the occasions where I am that confident, I would tell a story. So that's that's how I personally approached it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's really cool. And everyone's got different opinions. And yeah, I think just do what what works for you, what's right for you, and um, and and whatever gets like makes your clients happy. And I think that's the key thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think what's really important with process, um, 
So something I found really useful doing this podcast is uh, mm. speaking to lots of graphic designers. Generally, people work in slightly different ways. Like they they might have found something, taken it, adapted it, and made it their own, which which you've done. Yep. Um, and you know we can all learn from that. But is any one particular person right? <laughs> no. What what you need to do, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're just starting out, mm. take something and start with it. Start using that framework or that that process and see how it works for you. And um, you know, like with the one concept approach, I've done episodes on that. There's really strong arguments for presenting one, to be fair. And, um, you know, I, I do agree that it's, it's a good process. But like with both of us, we've, we've acknowledged that information. We're aware of that. Yeah. But we've made the, the choice that we want to present more than one option. So, you know, you, you, there is no right or wrong. Do what's right for you. <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> I agree, man. That's the thing. But uh, if you're gonna, if you, I will say, if you're gonna go for the one concept project, you got, you got to make sure that one concept is amazing and the work and the mock-ups that look great. So yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, like I said, I think if you're going to present one, present a story, um, you know, so that you can explain how you came to that solution. Then it's not just a case of going, this is what I think is right. Mm-hmm. It's more like you know, based on this, this, and this, this is what. Yep. Exactly. what I believe is the best solution for this situation. But yeah, I've done the whole episodes on that with people that have specialized in that. And there's a really strong argument. So I'll link to some of those episodes in the uh, show notes for anyone that wants to maybe consider the one concept approach and go into that direction. But um, yeah, I don't think we need to go into that in any more detail on this. Just before moving on to the second half of the podcast, I want to once again give a shout out to The Perfect Match who have kindly sponsored this episode. What I want you to do is take part in a quick mood board design exercise. And if you take part, you will get a $50 gift card for your submission. And if your mood board design communicates clearly you could become a contestant on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show for a chance to win $1,000. Throughout August and September, on top of that amazing $1,000 prize, you'll also win a Wacom Tablet 2. And for each entry submitted over those two months, they'll also be donating $25 to the National Partnership for Women and Families, supporting women's and children's rights. It's a win for you and a win for people in need. So take 30 minutes out of your day to take part in the perfect match. If you want to learn more about that and to enter, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. Anyway, let's get back to that interview. So I think we should talk about content marketing because I know you're really big on content marketing. I believe that content marketing is really important for anyone that wants to make a living as a logo designer. So I think uh, prior to going into the video stuff with content marketing, what's what's worked well for you? Yeah, so for me, there's, you know, one of the biggest things is, um, you know, doing a YouTube channel and um, like... I've gotten clients from YouTube because they saw me do a logo for a certain type of 
business. I, I, did, I remember I did like a logo for like a beauty brand and then I ended up getting a client from Florida um, to do some packaging and a logo just from one video. And the funny thing is once you create a video on, a, on YouTube, it's evergreen. So that means it stays on your channel forever unless your channel gets taken down or you take it down. So you got to think long-term, the longevity of having content. It, it works while you sleep because while you're sleeping, you know, your social media pages are always up. So people are always on the other side of the world uh, watching your content. So for me, I learned to like, yeah, teach everything I know. That's what I learned from Sean West and Nathan Berry. They said, teach everything you know. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the, the key concepts that really made me just push content so much because not only are you building your personal brand, you're building your reputation, your authority in an industry for, by teaching it, you're also solidifying that knowledge in your mind. So when I'm teaching how to do a logo or teaching how to use a tool in Illustrator, it helps me remember the shortcuts and helps me remember the tools and the, the concepts um, a lot better in my mind. And so it's like a win-win situation. And that's why I believe it's one of the best ways to get clients. And then now like I expanded to like, you know, Skillshare and in, you know, Instagram and TikTok. Um, and yeah, it's, it's gotten me clients. It's gotten me brand sponsorships, brand deals, and, you know, I have multiple income streams now from it, from content. So I don't just do like design work. I actually do more than that now, mm -hmm. which I'm very grateful for. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what got me to, to, to do content. And I used to listen to Gary V a lot. And so he was a big influence back in like 2016. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it's funny. A lot of people follow the same people. And uh, I think um, people like Sean Wes, uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned his name, big fan of him, yeah. big fan of Gary V, big fan of Pat Flynn. Like uh, a lot of yeah, people yeah. Are, uh, seem to know the, the same people and they all do this same thing where they are sharing everything that you know. And um, I've yeah. been doing that. And it's been phenomenal like like literally yeah. the the result of sharing everything that you know online is just yeah. so i can't even stress how valuable it is yes. um and yeah. I, I think i don't know it's just a gut feel but the 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 internet is is young still you know like 20 years ago it didn't yeah. really exist it's it's really young it's still very much in its infancy and yeah. um you know we are a generation where we are learning from these people that were experimenting with that and playing with that so taking True. those things that marketers and experts do and applying it to graphic design we're the first generation to do that and there's <laughs> so few of us that it's literally making a massive impact so wow. if you're listening and you're doing that then you're going to naturally just get known within your within the industry because mm. there's not many of us really <laughs> <laughs> i think a lot of us look at chris doe and they and like obviously they he dominates him and his team dominate the oh know, absolutely industry but um yeah a lot of, i think it's good because he encouraged a lot more creatives to step out of their shell and actually put stuff out there because i feel like a lot of creatives and designers are a bit introverted i'm not sure why mm -hmm. um i think we all start off like that but yeah, it encourage more people to get out, step out there, put out content, you know, do videos and put your design work out there. I think that's, yeah, it's, it's encouraging. It's good. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder with the whole introverted thing, I, I personally, it's just a personal uh, opinion, but yeah. I think it's because, and I don't know if the, this is the same for you, but mm. more outgoing people don't stay at home and sit on their computer all day long <laughs> <laughs> but when you are more introverted you you are spending time 
so as a kid like I used to draw a lot and I think that's oh, probably same. quite common <laughs> with kids and you know you're more likely to sit down and on your computer and play with the tools mm. um so I yeah. think naturally being you know less outgoing you're just yeah. naturally just drawn True. to some of these things I think that's why most graphic designers are you know not that outgoing mm. but then it's a real advantage if you're more confident and more outgoing or you're yeah you stand out more yeah or if you're just <laughs> not a confident person but you're willing to step outside your comfort zone and do things like podcasts or videos and stuff mm. like that so are, are you uh, have you always been fairly comfortable on camera because you're really great in on video you you, you seem like a natural have you always been like that or is uh, was you uncomfortable at the beginning yeah, if you look at back at my old, my first YouTube videos, I was uh, all over the place. Um, <laughs> like I, would, I wasn't talking properly. I would stumble over my words. I would say um and ah a lot. And, you know, um, I was, yeah, I wasn't the best. So for me, I feel like, you know, I, I was always like a, you know, um, outgoing person in school. Like I did sports, you know, I was very loud because I have a loud, I'm, I'm, I'm a wog. So I'm like Italian, <laughs> I'm Italian and Cyprian. So my family is very loud and my, you know, it's normal for us. Um, mm -hmm. So I grew up in that type of family and environment. And, you know, at school, you know, I was a bit of a people um, pleaser and a class clown. So, you know, I, was, <laughs> I sort of didn't care what people think. So that sort of yeah, helped so me. So you um, was naturally, naturally um, drawn yeah. towards the camera. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, but obviously I got better with time, you know, even mm -hmm. sitting down and hitting record. Um, yeah, I got better from just doing YouTube videos and then, you know, short form videos. And now I can confidently jump on a podcast get on a video, do a, a live stream without any trouble. Like it, I just can go with the flow because I've practiced and done it so much now. And that's why I seem so natural, but it was a journey yeah. and a process. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's important again, you know, for listeners, for anyone that's not doing this, you need to start like, and, yeah. and you're, you're not going to be very good at the, at the beginning. Uh, like in my podcast, if you go back to the first season, it's awful. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the content's good, thankfully, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> like my whole presentation style, the, the quality mm. of the audio, there's, there's, uh, like lots of, uh, pops in the audio, but now like if you listen through or you skip like you know 50 episodes or whatever from the beginning you you hear that immediate jump in quality and that's mm. the same with your stuff so if you go back to your uh first thing <laughs> yeah. then you know you you have to start somewhere you just you and and yeah. it's it's very much a case of just gradually improving so yeah agree I think that's good um I want to ask you about TikTok so okay I don't really use TikTok um it's probably a generation thing I, I don't know I just um yeah so are you getting clients from TikTok for TikTok no because I, I just started using it actually because I was sort sure. of against it but I started using it probably like you know three months ago um properly like and so I started uploading my I'm seeing more and more graphic designers starting to create TikTok style content for yeah, yeah for everything because I remember when TikTok came out obviously short form video kind of done before but done in a different way that's yeah. kind of cool like I can, I can see the appeal um and everything else has copied it so like if you scroll through like instagram now it's yep. got like the same. video thing YouTube it's short. the same sort of short format video content so um so you mentioned that you're ex experimenting with have you made have you learned any lessons from creating uh tiktok style short video content 
Well, for me personally, what I do, my strategy is that I mainly focus on Instagram, like shorts and reels. And so I upload that same video on TikTok and YouTube mm-hmm. shorts. And then I obviously for YouTube, I, I do one video a week where it's more of a targeted specific topic. But um, so I just upload the same videos at the moment um, with TikTok. I'm not, I'm not that big on TikTok, to be honest, compared to my sure. other platforms. But what I've learned is that um, people love watching like um, a before and after shots and like videos of like tutorials, like how to, how to create this in Photoshop or Illustrator. People love seeing the result of something creative, like, oh, how did you do that? And I don't even know if it's all designers watching that type of content because some of these people get a lot of views and, and stuff. So yeah, it's all about being fast paced, showing the result of something that you you made, um, making it very easy to digest. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just make it engaging really. And that, that's really it. Um, I I find like the, like Instagram, uh, yep. what, what are they called? The short videos? I don't even know what they're the called. Reels, reels. That, yeah, reels. I, f- I find it really like engaging and you can just sit there and scroll through and just yeah. watch these. It's, it's like um, a form of entertainment and it's, yeah. you know, it's like if, if you've got like 30 seconds, you can just sit down and flick through it. Like it's, it's really engaging, <laughs> which is really surprising. And it's, it's, it's no surprise that pretty much every single platform has uh, taken this approach and, and yeah. done their own thing. But I, you know, I, I do feel that TikTok was the, was the beginning of that sort of trend going through so yeah it um it will be interesting to see how that pans out for you like if you do end up getting clients or if it does you know end up bringing in uh people to your courses and your youtube channel and and your you know and anything else that you're doing because yeah. it's um you know long form content you can obviously do a lot more with it you can have sponsors and you can yeah. do like you know, two minute, like, uh, sort of sales pitch, I guess, at the, <laughs> within your content, you can't do that with these short format things. So, yeah, um, it'd be good to see how it sort of takes shape. Yeah. Did you hear recently, um, to add on to that, um, there was a, I think it was VidCon or one of these uh, conferences recently happened. Um, these TikTok people with like millions of followers and stuff, not, none of their audience showed up to the event, but for the YouTubers, they had heaps of their audience actually show up to the, phys- the physical event. So Very interesting. That, so they were saying like um, the YouTube people on YouTube, their audience is a lot more loyal and they mm-hmm. actually connect with the person more. Whereas TikTok, I think people are just flicking through and they don't actually care about the person behind the creation. And so there's, there's a bit of disconnection there, um, which is kind of interesting. So it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess from a, you know, focusing on a, uh, as a business point of view, you could use it as, uh, kind of like a, a way of attracting people towards your main content Yeah, and not necessarily focusing on growing that particular, uh, audience, but dragging them into something that, yep. that is really interesting. Yep. Bring them off platform. And I think for me, I'm trying to use it to get more subscribers on my YouTube channel or like mm-hmm. makes yeah, sense. bring them to my Instagram so I can grow those platforms because they're more better for monetization and my building my personal brand, I think. Yeah. 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 So it's more about, I mean, I, I'm making assumptions here because to be entirely transparent, I haven't really spoken to anyone about the short form uh, oh, video okay. content. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not really sure how people are using it. I mean, I've obviously seen some things like I'm, uh, 
James Martin made by James who's doing some cool stuff now uh, that seems to be appropriate and I do see it being a trend that's obviously going to ripple through the industry but it's it is uh, interesting to see how it's going to take shape and I think it will end up being like Mm. uh twitter because i remember when twitter came out i mean that's really old now but when that came out people were having the same arguments like how is this actually impacting your business but it's all it's more focused on uh growing your your brand and your reputation and stuff like this and drawing them into the other content and that sounds like that's how you're using it and um i assume other people are but yeah i can definitely see the value do you do you find it takes very long creating a short version versus a longer uh, video i'm not gonna lie creating content takes time like it takes a couple of days of my week you know like and so like that's why i can only take on certain amount uh, a limited amount of um like design projects or brand identity mm-hmm. projects so yeah i can only take on probably a few a month because i'm i dedicate a lot of time to creating content but even though i'm very fast at it um i've got a mm-hmm. you know templates and a fast system i use premiere pro um, and obviously Illustrator, Photoshop to create my, my stuff, my covers mm-hmm. and all that. So yeah, it takes at least, you know, a day of like writing and researching and then another day of like editing, um, and designing. So at least two days a week, like I'm spending towards sure. just content. Yeah. Sure. I think we should talk about that as well. Cause you clearly have a, a routine. Uh, I think it was in one of the interviews that you did that you wrote that you do content writing in the morning. Yeah. I think, I think having structure in your day like that is really important so do you mind talking through how I mean you you briefly explained it then about (laughs) having two days for your video content but how are you structuring your uh week or your day uh to 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 make sure that you are getting all your content done and um putting it all out there and doing client work on the top of (laughs) of that because it's a lot it's it's it is yeah. um it, it's a lot to do <laughs> yeah 100 and i think yeah for me one of my strong suits is i have a good strong mindset so i don't get stressed and stuff even though some days like apps are not working or things are crashing but yeah like my, my, my week goes basically on mondays i focus on doing writing so um and researching and stuff so for content so mondays is more of my chill day because a lot of my clients are overseas and a lot of people because i'm in australia i'm ahead so on Mondays, it's a chill day. Just focus on like your yeah, writing and doing like biz development. I typically wake up at around like, you know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Um, and then my day gets started and typically I take breaks like at lunch and then I go to the gym in the afternoon in my my garage. And then sometimes I go play basketball in the afternoon and I work till like 6 o'clock, sometimes a bit later depending on the projects. But yeah, Mondays are, are that, Tuesdays and Wednesdays um, and Thursdays I do like client work. Um, so if I, so if it's a design project, I work on that. And so, um, in the meantime, if I don't, I don't spend the whole day, I'll spend like maybe half a day doing a stylescape or design, and then I'll switch to content. So typically on, um, a Wednesday, I film my, um, sorry, a Wednesday or Thursday, I film my YouTube stuff. So my videos, mm-hmm. um, if I'm, if I don't have client, client work. And so, and then, yeah. And then. Um, I'm editing on those days and then on typically on Friday, it's more of a quiet day. So Friday, um, I focus on like upgrading and updating my like templates, my templates um, or updating my website or working on like a Behance, like updating work for my portfolio. Um, and yeah, the, typically that's how my, my, my week goes. Um, some it, It's pretty structured, but I don't go crazy with my calendar and stuff. Like these days, what I do is I try and set one day to have calls that nowadays because... 
I've had sometimes where I set calls and then clients don't show up to the call and it sort of ruins my flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, yeah, I set my times on, on one certain day. So that's sort of how my week is. Sure, yeah. sure. Having a structure like that, fantastic. Um, one question I do have. So you allocate like three days per week for client work. The other two days is for, and and time around client work is creating content so content is a real focus for you yep. and uh, you know it's 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 a sig- significant amount of your time and I think that's a good lesson that everybody can learn from yep. in terms of booking in clients so mm-hmm. uh, I think it was prior to the call you mentioned you know that that you had like four client calls yesterday in terms of like booking them in and and knowing when you're going to have something ready for them how are you booking that into your calendar do you just queue it up so like you just block out like a week for a for a client project how do you go about like mm-hmm. allocating time for client work yeah good that's good yeah so basically for typically like a logo or brand a denny project typically it'll take like a month if it's a long if it's a bigger project it'll take maybe two months so uh, for one project right yeah for like one project yeah so, one client so would you would you allocate that entire month for that one particular project or do you book multiple clients in at once and hop between uh, several projects over that month? Yeah, that's what I do. I do, I do the hopping thing. So I'll book Mm -hmm. them in and then um, I'll tell them sort of how my schedule is. And if we have to like push it back a bit, some, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the times the clients are not urgent projects. So I can spend a little bit of extra time to be honest, because they're Mm -hmm. like startups and stuff. So yeah, I'll book in, you know, I'd say like, four clients for a month two of them might be a content client and the other two might be will probably be like a logo design client Mm -hmm. and so i'll just bounce between them um because i'm very fast like i'm pretty quick at what i do because i've done it so many times Uh, i can typically smash out like a good portion of the work in like one day if it's content i can get it done within a day like if it's recording a couple reels or a couple carousel designing a couple carousels that's easy um Mm -hmm. but yeah that's typically what i'll do man and then and yeah, but obviously, like, I think I've mentioned it before, I'm very selective on who I take on. Like, I don't like taking on low budget clients unless it's for like a family friend or something. So I'm very selective. Um, but yeah. Sure, sure. And um, with such a structured system and the the need to continually create content, do you ever have the problem where a client project takes longer than you expect and you like do do you ever need to push your content out the way or do you always prioritize content and Ooh, just push the client work question. back what what takes the priority in that situation uh i feel like i've i've actually been dealing with that recently like struggling with that uh-huh. because... i know i i mean i think um there are certain jobs as a graphic designer that you can just kind of pretty much do anything so I used to work for a web design agency and with a website you can kind of take a formula and throw it together being completely honest so if if I uh needed to get a website done in an hour I could because I would take um you know I guess almost like templated layouts, swap out a few images, put in the text, you know, you can, you can systematize it and you don't really need to think too much about it. But I think with logo design and brand identity, we're creating something new and it's really hard. 
because um, there's no system that we, I mean, you can take, you can create a system, but it, it, it doesn't always result in yeah, the, the perfect work, right? solution. Yeah, you're you're having to create something that doesn't exist and it's quite challenging. So there's yeah. always going to be times where mm. you might think, oh yeah, I get that done in two hours. Two hours later, and then it takes no work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree with you, man. Yeah, that's the thing. Like sometimes the research might take longer. Like today I've been working on a stylescape, two of them, and I, I was trying to get it done within an hour, but it, it took me like, you know, two to three hours so it took me mm-hmm. extra um and so yeah for me i i think clients i want to make sure that my clients are happy so i i, I in, from tuesday to thursday i prioritize my clients um mm-hmm. as much as possible um because at the end of the day i want to get a five-star review on google and i want them to oh, refer absolutely. me because then it's going to get me what will work in the future so for me i think client satisfaction and them enjoying the experience and making sure that they're not felt like um, neglected. I feel like that's more important to me. Um, but I, I will admit, I do have days where I'm like, Oh no, I haven't done my, you know, YouTube video yet. Like, cause other things came up on that day mm-hmm. or, you know, I got a meeting or whatever. So some, every day is different, you know, even though I have a bit of structure, it, you have to be adaptable. So that's what I've learned really. Um, Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that. Cause, um, I do think it can be quite intimidating when, like, if you don't have your day week, so structured, it yep. can be quite intimidating if you do start working in that way and things sometimes take longer. It's just good to know that you do need to have that little bit of flexibility in there yeah. so that if things do take longer, um, then so be it. And it sounds like in your case, you will always prioritize your clients over your own stuff, but you yeah. still make sure that you get your stuff done, which is... Yeah, I'll uh, stay up a bit it, later. <laughs> I always stay up <laughs> to 1am, but I'll stay up to like, you know... 10, 11 and finish it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good that you're doing that. Cool. Um, we've got maybe like 10 minutes or so left. So cool. I think another thing that that's good to uh, talk about. So we've spoken about how you got clients. So we briefly spoke about mm. how you are doing like Skillshare courses and stuff like that. But, but the key thing that I want to get at is that you're diversifying your income. You're not just mm. relying on uh, clients coming in, you're also building, I guess, assets and stuff like that, that have value to you that will bring in, um, a a, a passive income or an ongoing income. Can we talk a little bit about that? So what are you doing to like beyond just client work? And I think it's good to make it relevant to logo design because you're someone that is um, doing that. How are you diversifying your income? So you're not totally 100% reliant on clients, uh, continually coming in? Yeah. So I have around seven streams. Um, I did have a couple more because I, I was running an academy, like a membership. Um, but I put that on pause cause I was just doing too many things. Um, so I've got my design work. I've got, um, my YouTube AdSense. So money I make from ads from my videos. I do brand sponsorships. So that includes like content for Instagram and YouTube. I also have affiliate deals. So for example, Logo Package Express, um, I'm an affiliate with them. Um, so I make so I get a kickback when someone buys a product. Now, um, number five, I have my own pers- uh, products and templates. So I sell like logo packs, um, brand identity kits, Instagram carousel templates, stuff like that. Um, number six is I have like my Skillshare courses. So classes on design and logos and all that stuff. So that brings in a good chunk of, of money. Um, 
it actually brings in 50% of my income actually. So it's wow, pretty Wow, that's amazing. So yeah. that's all through your training material. Yeah, because I've been doing wow, okay. I've been doing it since 2016. <laughs> YouTube and Skillshare have done it since 2016, so like seven years now. And so I built it up. Um, yeah. And then the last few ones, I do do coaching, but it's more like I don't put I don't promote it as much. It's more on the side, like one-on-one coaching. And then I invest in crypto and stocks. So that's like all my revenue streams. Um, yeah, some more than others, but um, yeah, it all it all trickles in. So I'm a big believer in wealth, and by building wealth, you have to have multiple income streams. You can't just have oh yeah a day absolutely. job. You know, that's what I yeah. There's, it's, it makes it harder to build wealth long term. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important when you're uh, building a business to not be completely reliant on one income stream because there's going to be times where. I, I guess the the state of the world could impact whether clients are going to want to invest in um, identity. And, and I mean, being completely honest, probably yep. one of the first areas where companies will um, uh, put a pause is on branding, uh, which is absolutely terrifying for uh, people <laughs> in branding. But if you are diversifying your income and having these different income streams and and spending time creating other content that's bringing in a passive income in my case like this this podcast yeah. i have a sponsor for it i also do oh. affiliate promotion and stuff like that so you cool. know what we're doing now is creating content um i i feel that you need to as a business owner um and you know if if i i would say if you're freelance you're a business owner yeah. <laughs> even if you're working for yourself yeah you you need to consider these um different income streams and I, I think it's absolutely amazing that like 50 percent of your income is from uh training material and yeah. <laughs> um i'm gonna be i'm gonna be straight with you i'm really surprised that you're only allocating two days of your week to creating this creating stuff that's bringing in 50 percent of your income you need to be like uh slowly pushing those clients uh to maybe two days a week yeah and, uh, I've, I've thought about this the... many times because <laughs> because but one, one of my things I, I was thinking about ian is that if i stop client work completely because that's one of the thoughts i had like just be just teach and do educational stuff but i thought like how can i be relevant to designers if i'm not doing actual i agree work? i agree that, that's my You're thought right. yeah i really i i really admire that actually because um, there, there is a lot of people out there creating content and, uh, they do become less relevant to, mm. uh, the actual industry because they're just not familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, what's being put out there. And it's, it's commendable that you are wanting to do that. And I, I guess also yeah. if you enjoy graphic design, you, you need clients in order to have a proper problem to solve and figure out, but yeah, I mean, just hearing what you're saying, 50% of your income. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you, you probably need to have a think about, like, can you step that up in some way? Maybe, maybe you, you can take that even further, you yeah. know, make it like 75% of your income and just do yeah. like, still do client work, but just less of it. Less of it um, and like charge, just charge more and like just do more yeah. specific clients. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Like just maybe one client every few months, but it's like a big mm-hmm. project. And yeah. Like so you're still different. relevant. You're still working yeah. with clients. You're still getting that creative. Um, uh, flowing and, uh, yeah. You, you could also consider, um, I think it's Ian Barnard. Yep, he I does um, lettering. Uh, lettering. Yep. 
he doesn't, as far as I'm aware, I mean, it might have changed since I last spoke to him. Yeah. He doesn't take on client work unless mm. that client can be worked in content. So literally uh, people yeah, are smart. paying him to create things that is content, which I just mm. find absolutely amazing that as a, mm. yeah, as a creator, which, you know, everyone listening to this is probably a creator in some way. Yeah. Um, we can, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to get to the, get to the point where you have a, a large audience and you're creating con- creating content like you are yeah. you can actually have people that will pay you to create the content for those videos which is yeah. something that you could consider like you could take on client work but that client work uh the the agreement needs to be that that uh whole process is is your content so yeah your your client work is your content creation and you know that would have a domino effect yeah, I've actually, uh, <laughs> sorry to cut you off. I actually yeah, added into my um, terms and conditions now um, that I'm allowed to record and use any of the con- um, content in my, um, on my channel, social channels. So now clients are aware, like I can use it for educational purposes. So I record like all my, all the discovery calls and all that. And so I can put it in a YouTube video. So oh, wow. I'm definitely cool. trying to implement it a bit more these days. Yeah. Oh, that that's amazing. And, uh, you know, knowing that they're happy to have the calls and stuff recorded so you can document it. That is really cool. Yeah. That's a good place to be in. And I think, um, you know, as a for anyone that just wants to specialize solely in logo design and they are a content creator, that is cool that your clients are basically paying you to create the content, <laughs> uh, which is, yeah, it's a good place to be in. Well, I think that's a really good point to... Uh, bring the interview to a close. I think this has been uh, really good. It's been really great hearing your story and learning how, you know, things that you're doing. Um, I I think your big thing is obviously the the video and how you're implementing that into your process, your client communication. And ultimately, it's going to be the thing that's going to take you to that next level, right? Because uh, you're, you're great on video. You're creating these uh, training Thanks, materials man. you're turning your client work into content and uh yeah it's a good place to be in man you're, you're doing very well so uh, thank you so much for, uh jeremy for uh doing this podcast it's been really great thanks ian thanks for having me on really appreciate the opportunity man and it was great chatting to you if you want to learn more about jeremy head to his website jeremymura.com I'll link to that along with his social profiles in the show notes for this episode, which you can find by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash one four zero. And don't forget to take 30 minutes out of your day to start working on a mood board design challenge and to enter that into the perfect match. And if you do that, you will get a $50 gift card for your submission. To learn more about that and to enter, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. So thanks so much for listening and I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.